The goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Data Transformers. I'm so pleased to have with us today Salima Rice, a Chief Data Officer at Geometric uh, Results and also a Senior Data Executive for the past 25 years in the data management industry. Thank you, Salima, for joining us today. Thank you for having me, guys. Good morning to both of you. Welcome, Salima. Thank you. Good morning. Salima, I thought maybe the first question that we start out with is just uh, what you've been seeing in the data industry in the, over the last 20, 25 years. What type of different data management strategies have you seen employed and what's different now for a, a chief data officer taking on the role um, uh, today versus someone who's taken up, who's been in this role for the last 20 years? Well, that's a big span. So <laughs> I would say, uh, you know, 20 years ago, data really was not a, uh, wasn't really top of mind to anybody, right? I mean, we were often the basement department, a subdivision of IT, um, wasn't very diverse. Um, I was probably one of the few women in the industry when we first got started. Um, and so I think that, you know, so many aspects of it, I think, have evolved, right? I mean, when I look back even just 10 years ago, where data was compared to now, you know, the, the role of the chief data officer in the early 2000s was all about governance. It was really around data quality and risk and making sure that, you know, we were um, capturing data lineage and understanding who's using the data and why they're using it and what they're using it for. Um, and, and I think that that role of the chief data officer uh, kind of evolved out of, you know, a vision of IT uh, because IT, you know, really shouldn't own the data, right? The business right. should own the data. IT can own the processes, but we learned very quickly during the financial crisis that IT didn't want to own the data, to, you know, or neither should they, right? And so <clears throat> I think that that really helped move data into a completely different light to know that you have um, fact-based trusted data was the biggest um, change to our industry uh, to be able to help CEOs and CROs especially um, to be able to feel like you know when they go into a with a regulator that you know they were confident in what they were sharing now and I think that, you know, from there, you know, the role really started to just almost like tumbleweed. Well, if data management can be about data quality, mm -hmm. what else is there, right? What other components? Um, even for, I would say, up until the last five years, it meant data management, the data operations, so the data warehousing, the data quality, and now most recently, um, most of the CDOs that I know are even taking on the data science component. So myself, I have global responsibility for 
all data. So data management, the data operations, data governance, data quality, um, data science. I have uh, business intelligence. So anybody who is touching the data for any reason kind of goes through my organization. So that means I also have AI, I have machine learning, I mm. have you know everything now that surrounds the data and the data operations. And I think that that's just such a different component than what we had years ago where a lot of those decisions of the data came out of more of the business operations areas. Hmm. So, so Selena, um, you are a chief data analytics officer at Geometric Results. So what does Geometric Results do? And within that, uh, you know, of course, you're dealing with so much data, but in terms of uh, the business outcomes, what are you expected to deliver? So Geometric Results <clears throat> is a managed service provider of human capital management. We are the world's largest and oldest um, service provider for contingent labor. So when you think of large Fortune 500 companies that have, you know, 50% full-time and 50% uh, contingent, whether that's in SOW or in contract labor, all of that labor goes through our program. So my team manages the data for over 250 of these companies worldwide. So we have an, an enormous amount of data that we're looking at from the time that somebody applies for a job all the way till the time that you know they've been in that job and we're looking at how long they've been in that job. So um, a big part of the human capital management has really evolved in itself, like we were talking about earlier. I think that, you know, uh, for many people in human capital, um, this was really about just, you know, finding talent faster, right? How mm -hmm. can you find the right talent for the right job at the right time? And that was the focus of data in the human capital space for 20 years. Now, the difference is that that has evolved to something where not only can we find the talent, but we can do things with uh, supply and demand. We can look for uh, trends and patterns. We can say, you know, where can we find a purple squirrel? Where are there people with these skill sets? With AI and machine learning, we have been able to completely turn the head on this industry to where, you know, you can, you can now predict the likelihood of what your labor spend is gonna be. You can predict, you know, how many resources you're gonna need for a project by looking at should cost models. Things that in the past, you know, before we had uh, data and AI and machine learning was all very kind of, you know, uh, like, you know, <laughs> um, I don't even want to say a great estimate. It was, you know, well, we did it that way before, so we can do it that way again, right? Sure. And, and that's really changed this industry. Um, Geometric Results is owned by Bain Capital. So we are a division of Bain. Uh, so we have um, a wonderful parent company that um, saw human capital and especially this managed service space and wanted to differentiate themselves. Um, they sought me out after um, I had been uh, kind of, you know, in-house as a chief data officer for um, the world's largest staffing company. Mm -hmm. And um, they looked at, you know, how does this industry evolve over time and thought that, you know, we could really do something different to differentiate um, GRI and, and maybe even drive a whole different, you know, 
line down the road. So I'm very excited. I've been with DRI for about three and a half years now. And um, I love, you know, having a consultant mind. I was a management consultant for 19 years. So not only do I get to be a chief data officer for GRI, but I, I kind of feel like I get to be the chief data officer for, you know, talent for all of our customers, which yeah. is very exciting for me. Wow, uh, Salima, that, that's great. And then I just want to talk a little bit more about the concept of data analytics in the human capital space, because I think that's a fairly new concept for, mm -hmm. for many people. Um, can you talk about, you know, just a little more detail, um, what type of data inputs you're, you're looking at and considering, um, I mean, it's not as, like you said, in the olden days, it's pretty much trying to manually match people to a job and, um, you know, it's done by recruiters, you know, it's a very manual process. How, um, talk about some of the, the data inputs or even some of the uh, data um, insights you get when look, looking at, when doing this type of work. Sure, I think that, you know, when people think of, uh, AI and human capital, I think a lot of people in the data space usually go towards the input of like job descriptions. So one of the things that we've had to do um, as a, I think as a chief data officer and most of my peers that are chief data officers is really look at the capabilities around the cloud and how we can ingest data faster, how we can ingest data in more of a hybrid nature because a lot of the data that we're ingesting is unstructured data. Yeah. So we have a combination of both structured and unstructured that we need to be bringing in. When you think of like a job description, like the, the first one that comes to mind is like a job description, right? You know, typically a job description um, is how you would, you know, break out the, the and parse components of a job description to identify things like the skills, to identify what the occupation is. Because nowadays, when you think of a software developer, and what you're going to pay for a software developer. If you just put a, a requisition out, I'm looking for a software developer. Well, are you looking for a software developer with C Sharp or are you looking for a software developer with Python? Because the difference in the market rate is about $75. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, and I think that a lot of people um, don't think that, you know, how much we can learn from just something as simple as a well-written job description. The years of experience determines the level of the person that you need. And then kind of looking at, you know, um, how that transitions over time. One of the great things during COVID that's happened is we've been able to look and see like, you know, where can we kind of upsell people, right? Like people's skills, you know, mm -hmm. where um, we can tell over time that uh, Python, great Python developers typically came from great Java developers, right? So, you know, they may not have Python on their resume today, but if they ever, or even Ruby on Rails, right? I mean, some of the newer technologies, but knowing where they came from, from, you know, their, uh, from their resume or their CV, you now can kind of determine um, that path for them. I mean, even looking at, I think, um, some of the market data, right? I mean, as we look at what should I be paying if I'm interested in another market? We have a lot of customers that um, are kind of wondering, do I stay in high uh, cost of living areas like New York City or mm -hmm. the San Francisco Bay Area right now, Silicon Valley, where, you know, if, I, if my workforce can be remote and I can find somebody with 
a purple squirrel kind of skills. If I'm looking for a, a developer with GPS and Python, and I know that there's a concentration of them in a zip code that's in Iowa, mm -hmm. you know, why do I care where they sit? Um, and so we can use uh, data analytics and data science and some of our more advanced machine learning and AI components to really, you know, help our, our customers when it comes to that supply and demand. And there's so many areas across um, my platform where we've embedded machine learning. Um, if you think about kind of business intelligence, right? Business intelligence for um, as long as I've been in data has always been a rear view mirror of what happened. You know, I mean, you've got lots of different tools to make it look pretty, but at the end of the day, it's still, you know, what happened and it, looking at the rear view mirror. So for us that to take that to another level meant I need to be able to see what happened. I need mm -hmm. to be able to do a correlation to understand why it happened. And I need to be able to share with my customers using AI, what's next? What is the likelihood of what's going to happen next if I keep down this path, whether it's seasonality, whether it's you know historical data or, or even COVID now? Yeah. So Salim, actually, you're bringing up a lot of uh, good aspects in that one. So one of the challenges that I had while hiring, recruiting, uh, when I was working was that I was looking for people with both, right? One is the aptitude, the other one is the attitude. So aptitude, to some extent, you could look at the resume and what the progression of the jobs they have held, and then how they have learned, how curious they were. And then attitude is something, it's, it's a more, much more qualitative in mm -hmm. terms of their outlook. So in, in, uh, in your analytics, right? So how do you how do you find out a person's uh, curiosity level, the learning ability? Uh, it's, it's like yeah, you said a, a Java developer could become a good Python developer, That's but right. that also depends on the person's intent on becoming a Python developer that, you know, right. have they shown the progression towards learning? So that's one aspect of it. The other mm -hmm. aspect of it is a bias of, let's say, I read an article recently that some people look at the resume and if there's a gap in a woman's resume, it could be because of many reasons that, you know, it's a maternity leave or whatever, but mm -hmm. if, if they give it to an AI model, right, it will say, okay, there's a gap, then I would not consider. So the qualitative aspects of uh, this uh, recruitment, how do you address them? Sure. So one thing I want to say is that as a professional in this field, I am completely in favor of eliminating the entire resume, <laughs> right? Like, I think that it's about your years of experience and your skills. And I think that the component you touched on is what's missing is how do you think, right? So we partner with um, our, we have vendor management services that we partner with um, mm -hmm. for our customers that actually can uh, gamify to some extent, you know, how somebody thinks. Um, it's not just about whether or not um, they fit because they have five years of Java experience. It's how do I know what's the likelihood that they'll be a good fit based on their personality, yeah. based on how they think outside the box, based on, you know, we can actually work with um, the, the client to, you know, gamify something where you can have an internal employee mm -hmm. do this to see like, or multiple internal employees, if you're looking for people who think similarly. So you're completely taking the bias out of the resume. I mean, there's so many things in the resume, the name, the school, 
things that don't that shouldn't apply anymore, right? That um, and so I am in completely in favor of you know, and even in my own team, um, mm-hmm. I love the fact that you know I have data engineers, I have data scientists, I have data analysts, I have uh, quality engineers, and when we sit down into a a, a daily or a, a weekly meeting. You know, I'm like, put all your titles aside, because to me, your problem solver, number one, your problem solver, number two, and your problem solver, number three, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter what your job title is, it's that, you know, we work as a team, I'm, uh, I'm very, very blessed that um, I think from a leadership perspective, I've had zero attrition in almost four years. So, you know, that is, to me, better better as a reward than something that I could actually get because it means that I'm I'm giving my team opportunities to be creative. I'm giving them opportunities to be innovative and I'm giving them an environment where they can thrive, where they can grow, where they can, you know, um, do things that they they couldn't do somewhere else. And I think whether they're your employees or you're staffing for a customer, um, you have to kind of have that mindset today. And that's, um, and I love the fact that you brought this up that you've had zero attrition. Suleiman, I think very few um, managers out there can say that they had zero attrition over four years. I think that's a testament to you as a manager. Um, Suleiman, I uh, would love to have uh, more of those type of managers um, out there. Um, you, you mentioned earlier about, I mean, we're all living in a time of COVID pandemic, and it certainly has affected the, the way that um, we, we, we work right today. Um, mm-hmm. um, has that, what, what impact has that really had in, um, in your industry and really finding candidates? Has it, um, I think you alluded to it, but I'd love to hear like how, what has the effect of COVID been like? Oh, I mean, obviously, there's a de- the downside is that, you know, um, when you're looking at a certain industries, not all industries were impacted as bad, yeah. but there are many industries that were impacted in a way where um, the contingent workforce tends to be um, furloughed the fastest, right? So I think that it was about, you know, these people who are being furloughed, if they're, if they're not truly on a furlough, if we're going to roll them off, you know, how can we help them? How can we help find them other roles? You know, throughout the pandemic, you know, I was constantly on social media saying, if you if you're one of my contacts, and you've been released, you know, and I encourage my team to do that, you know, if you've if you've been released, you know, we know a lot of people. I've got thousands of, you know, LinkedIn friends, you know, like let's help each other. So that's been a big part of it. Um, for our customers, though, I think it wasn't just about being able to ramp down, but it was to be able to ramp up at the end of it, too. So how do I find that talent faster now? And then for several industries, um, I would say uh, industries where they're creating products, healthcare, um, any of the um, laboratory type organizations, some of the tech organizations that continued to kind of grow during this phase. It was, you know, really um, not just finding the right talent, but um, really finding the right talent and sometimes um, in the right industry, right? That could onboard very quickly. Like for me and my team, I know, you know, I have a lot of uh, employees that over the years came from 
financial services just because that was where you know most of my background was for many years. Um, so to kind of bring them up into a new industry takes some time. Um, right now, that time wasn't always something that you have. So not just identifying um, the talent with the right skills, but having that industry knowledge to be able to know how to correlate the data is a big component of that. But I think being there for the customer, helping the customers through that, um, as a managed service provider, you know, it was our role to really be the consiglior for, you know, lack of better term, to, to really, you know, consult with them and have a seat at the table around, you know, here's the problem we're going to have, how do we solve that together? And I think that that, um, I, I was just speaking with somebody on our board this week and said, to me, that is the best thing that has come out of that is that, you know, we don't just look at each other as a vendor is that we are truly a strategic partner with a seat at the table that can help you solve problems and especially using data. I think there is so much information in the data today that uh, we didn't have access to. It wasn't just about that we didn't use it, but we didn't we didn't ingest the unstructured data. Mm -hmm. We didn't um, we didn't do the things with it that we can do today where we can bring in, I must have 25 different sources of external data that I'm bringing in that are, you know, things around climate, things about geography, things about um, how other customers are building up in certain areas. We can learn about um, our oil and gas customers. We can do things that we hadn't done before, you know, around the commodity price of oil and gas and how that impacts rates, right? Yep. I mean, um, the consumer confidence levels wow. and how they impact rates on our retail customers. So there's just so many different areas where uh, data wasn't really brought into the mix. It was more, more hypothetical. And I think that, you know, being in a time when um, things are already kind of feeling upside down, having faith and knowing that you, you know, your trust is in the data, right? It's not a black box anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be everything, you know, we can, um, we often tell our customers that, you know, we have, we, we can give you visibility on steroids if you want it, right? I mean, you can, you can go from the highest level to the lowest level um, of granularity. It's just, you know, does it become data overload? Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today, and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.